Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. Right, we're now going to have our reading. Uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, why don't you get one? Uh, I'm looking for mine. Give me a sec. Take a second and get your Bible. We're in Haggai, uh, which is in the, uh, the latter part of the Old Testament. This is when I haven't got it all prepared and, uh, and have to find Haggai. Hey, what a nightmare. Now I found it. Uh, okay, so over to Becca, who's going to read Haggai chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. Over to you. I'm going to be reading Haggai 2, verses 1 to 9. On the 21st day, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And work, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. And the silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Super. Um... I just want to introduce Monty. Thank you, Becca. Uh, we have an advisory team at Christ City Church that uh, we put together uh, three-ish, maybe four years ago now. Uh, Sean and Anna Mullen, some of you will know on that. Pat Mullen, uh, who's the pastor at Grace Baptist Church on Pierce Street, and Monty are the four um, members of the advisory team. And the idea is that we have counsel, support, encouragement, and older and wiser people who are inputting into CCC and into Leanne and I particularly. And it's been wonderful. Um, we actually had a meeting last night uh, with uh, with the advisory team and Leanne and I were really blessed to be with them. Uh, we meet every six months. So Monty's part of that and, uh, and works with students uh, all over Europe uh, as his job, but used to work with students just on the island of Ireland. And, and so we knew him a lot from his work in, uh, in the universities in, in Dublin as well. So it's great to have Monty back. Um, I'm going to pray and hand over to him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this such a timely word, given everything we're going through. And give us ears to hear, uh, minds to, to understand, hearts to be humble, and lives to be obedient as we hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, great. And uh, just disappointing not to be with you in person. Uh, that was all planned. It's not actually making my day any less hectic because I do actually still have to go down to Wicklow after this. Uh, but I'm here now and I'm just glad to be part of this and to see some of you on camera. 
Uh, and yeah, it's, it's disappointing, but let's see what God has to say, has to say to us in the middle of all of this. I wonder what your favorite lockdown song was. Was there a song that you just needed to listen to a couple of times every week as the lockdown continued? Well, like every teenager, I had my favorite pop group. And while my friends in the late 70s were listening to The Jam or The Clash, or the more sophisticated ones were tuning into Led Zeppelin or Wishbone Ash, I was the subject of a fair bit of ridicule at school from the cool police because I would wax lyrical about the musical arrangements of ELO, the Electric Light Orchestra. So it was with some smugness, I noticed uh, a couple of years ago that while those other bands have all come and gone and some of them have disappeared into relative obscurity, an ELO reunion concert packed out Wembley Stadium and had to put on a couple of extra shows due to demand. I was further vindicated this week when I heard that research conducted in Belgium, of all places, had identified the song that was the biggest go-to song in Europe during lockdown. What song did most people say they downloaded or tuned into? Mr. Blue Sky by ELO. The sun is shining in the sky. There ain't a cloud in sight. It stopped raining. Everybody's in a play. And don't you know, it's a beautiful new day. Why on earth would you tune into that, you might ask? Except I can guess that in the midst of all the chaos and uncertainty and the fear and the depression, folks everywhere were looking for something just to lift their spirits, looking for hope, something to be thankful for, something to lift their spirits out of the pit of discouragement, out of the black hole. Something better, something greater. As Christians, we believe that we're part of a big story that began with creation and continues to the end of time. But it's a story of many ups and downs. God chooses a people to bless the world and to draw the nations to him. He gives them their own land. He builds their own temple as a symbol of his presence amongst them. But they feel so miserably they're taken out of the land and their temple is destroyed and they lose the lot. Then, suitably chastened, God brings them back and they start the slow, painstaking job of rebuilding what had been lost. And it's into this context at that time in history that the prophet Haggai walks in. A prophet whose entire public ministry lasted less than four months. But they were a crucial four months as God's people were at a critical juncture in their history. As God's spokesman, he addresses the problem head on. And the problem was essentially spiritual short-sightedness. There's a contrast in this passage between what we see and what God sees. And by looking at some of the problems that the people had, we might be able to discern some of the symptoms of spiritual short-sightedness or myopia that can affect us. Firstly, there's the symptom of unhealthy comparison. They looked at what they were building and they thought, this isn't as good as the old one. It's rather pathetic, actually. The old building was the envy of the surrounding nations. <laughs> this is actually a bit of an embarrassment. You can read about this also in the book of Ezra. When the new temple was finished and dedicated, 
there was a real sense of mixed emotions. People were laughing and crying and yeah, it was good to get it finished. But as my goddaughter would say, meh, it's a bit of an anticlimax. This was, of course, based purely on the externals. Not as big, not as impressive, not as ornate. Disappointment. The scourge of comparison is that it forces us to see things as the world sees them, to value what's visible and quantifiable as those things that really matter. In church life, how easy is it to stay encouraged if, if a church in another part of the city seems to be much bigger or more successful or have more resources than you do? I once heard it said that if you want to find out how gracious a pastor or a church leader is, then just say something complimentary or positive about the successful church up the road. Ah, uh, well, we'd be like that if we had what they have. We, if we had their numbers, if we had their money, if we had their young people. We always see what we don't have. We see the problems. We see where others have it better, or where in Haggai's case, the previous generations had it better. This was the month of the Feast of Tabernacles that, that Haggai is speaking into here. And that month was the one where Solomon's temple was dedicated, the old temple. And the scriptures devote pages to what an amazing event that was. The dedication of this temple that they were in the, in the midst of building was going to be a bit like the sequel movie that never quite lived up to the expectations of the first one. And you see, that comparison can lead us to discouragement. We think we can't do it. We don't have the resources. The world's different now. We'll never recapture the glory years. Often it is when some of the work has been started and you begin to get a flavor of just how big the task is that you get overwhelmed with the size of the undertaking. My wife Gwen is in the middle of a major project in our garden, clearing a vast swathe of overgrown plants and small trees, getting in new soil and bringing in tons of rock and stones and using them to build a dry creek feature running down a slope through the garden. It wasn't long before she saw some progress. The bigger plants were taken away and we could see things we hadn't seen for a long time. It felt good. It felt exciting. It was new. And then the big truck came from the quarry with all the rocks and the stones. And the little crane came and deposited the bags on our driveway. And she was faced with that sinking feeling of how enormous this job was, just how much work it was going to be. It's a little like how the workers felt at the start of Haggai chapter two. But Haggai comes and says, don't look back. Don't be discouraged. Expect greater things. I've heard church planters say that starting the church is not the difficult bit. It's a few years in when the reality starts to bite of what it takes to mold a diverse motley bunch of sinful human beings into a covenant community. After all the initial excitement, that's when the discouragement can start. And then that in turn leads to fear. Fear of failure, fear of ridicule, fear of working hard for no real or lasting purpose. So comparison with others or with previous years is futile. It kills what God wants to do through us. 
Discouragement is overwhelming. Fear is debilitating. All of them derive from our own self-absorption. Why can't I succeed like them? Why can't things be better now for me? Above all, it blinds us to what God is saying, what he is doing, and what he wants to do through us. Because God's response through the prophet Haggai was to counteract their spiritual myopia with a far-sighted vision of his plans and purposes. But he does it quite pastorally. He doesn't put them on a guilt trip. He doesn't get the whip out and tell them to roll up their sleeves and stop whining. He acknowledges how difficult this must be for them. It's 66 years since the old temple was destroyed. So he starts by speaking to those who are in their 70s and 80s. Verse 3, who's still around who remembers the old days? Yeah, is this not a massive letdown? He confronts the reality of their disappointment in order to say, but you can't see what I can see. You're looking back at a great temple. I'm looking further back, verse 5, at my covenant that brought you out of Egypt. You see an unattainable past and a hopeless future. I see a covenantal past and a glorious future. You're looking forward to a future with a mediocre building. I'm looking forward to a time when the earth will be shaken and all nations will come to a temple that will last forever. Expect greater things because the glory of this temple, he says, will be greater than the glory of the last one. Seriously? How come? Well, our perspective is not God's, and God's vision is not ours. God is essentially saying to the people and to us, raise your eyes and raise your expectations. To our discouragement, he offers his spirit. God's in effect saying here, you might say we can't. We don't have the strength. We don't have the resources. We don't even have the will at the minute or the patience. But I say, I can by my spirit in you. If you've been reading the Bible for any length of time, there's, you're probably familiar with one of those well-known Old Testament verses. Uh, maybe the only verse from the prophet Zechariah that you know, Zechariah 4, verse 6. No, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What you may not realize is that that verse through Zechariah, that actual statement, came only a month or so after this word through Haggai. And it was directed at the same man, Zerubbabel. You see, the work of building God's temple was so overwhelming, and the danger of discouragement and disillusionment was so strong, that Zerubbabel and his leadership team actually required two prophets to encourage them. Don't look at what you don't have. Don't even look at what you used to have. Look at who you have, says God. My spirit among you. So expect greater things. What do we see today? 
A world in the grip of an unmanageable virus? A people fearful and discouraged? A church apparently powerless, looking back at when you used to be able to meet together and smile without masks and shake hands and hug and share food together? What do you see? An uncertain future where you don't know what life or work or church or community is going to be like? Is that what you see? God sees something different. He sees a lost and fearful and anxious world out there. But it's a world in which he has put his people. And it is a people in whom he has put his spirit. A world in which he has put his people and a people in whom he has put his spirit. He sees a people with whom he has a covenant to be faithful. A people through whom he's going to work. A people who will be his agents in bringing hope to the nations. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples, 72 of them, out on a mission, telling them to take no resources with them, not even a money belt or extra clothes. And this nervous bunch of disciples go out to proclaim the kingdom with nothing other than the spirit of Jesus in them. When they return, they are pretty blown away by what has happened. And they went from town to town, seeing even the demons submitting to them. And Jesus says to them when they come back, I saw Satan fall from heaven. In essence, he was reminding them that the little things that they were doing on earth, every act of obedience or word of witness, had cosmic supernatural significance. He could see into the realm where they couldn't. He tells them that they could and should expect even greater things. He echoed the words of God through Haggai. And so Haggai chapter 2 contrasts what we see with what God sees. And then it moves on to what God is doing and what we must do. What is God doing? Well, the passage covers the acts of God through the whole sweep of human history, from his bringing his people out of Egypt in the past, through his message to these discouraged builders now and their present, to the future in verses 7 and 8. In a little while I will shake the nations. And in biblical prophecy, the past, the present, and the future are often conflated because they're all part of the one story in God's timing. So when we ask what God is doing, we've got to look at the whole picture. Sometimes it's about what he's doing now. Sometimes it's about what he's going to do later. Sometimes it's about what he's going to do much, much later at the end of the story. And here we see in particular three aspects of God's actions in his world. We see the shaking of the nations. We see the wealth of the nations. And we see the peace of the nations. Haggai writes of this happening soon in a little while. He was writing, as far as we're concerned, two and a half thousand years ago. But it was only a few hundred years after he wrote when something else happened of cosmic significance. In verse 7, there is a phrase, the New International Version translates it, the desired of all nations is going to come. It's a term that many see as a reference to the incarnation of God himself in Jesus Christ. It's a title for Jesus, the desire of nations. It's even in some of our Christmas carols, come desired of nations, come. Other translations translated as the treasures of all nations 
Just as Babylonians carried off all the valuable items from the old temple and put them in their pagan temple, will all the wealth of the nations then come back to Jerusalem? It's probably multi-layered in its meaning. On the one hand, it could be referring to someone that fulfills the desires of all the nations. And so just a few hundred years after Haggai, the earth was shaken. The world was briefly plunged into darkness and the graves were opened and the massive curtain in this very temple that was being built by Zerubbabel was torn in two as the Son of God, the desired of nations, became the rejected of nations and was crucified on a criminal's cross bearing the weight of the world's sin and evil. But then also, just a few hundred years after Haggai's words, the boundary markers of what constituted God's people were stretched out to their limits as the risen Christ sent his disciples, not just into the Jewish towns as he did in Luke chapter 10, but out into all the world, to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth, to all nations, to preach the good news. And so, folks, that is how the treasures of all the nations will arrive into God's kingdom. Not as the original hearers may have thought, with the gold and the silver and the precious vessels and the jewels, because verse 8, God says, the silver and the gold is already mine. I already own it. I'm not impressed by them. I don't need them. What I'm going to do, he says, is to bring to myself the precious treasured people, the treasured possession, as we're called in Peter. Those who are currently away from me in a foreign land, the prodigal sons, the prodigal daughters. I'm going to bring my children back to me. We've mentioned how Haggai and Zechariah were contemporaries. Well, in chapter 9, Zechariah refers to God's redeemed people as his jewels. We are God's treasures. And we are being built, says Paul, as living stones into a spiritual temple. And for those who come to God and become part of this spiritual temple, we will discover that he is the Prince of Peace. In his kingdom, enemies are reconciled. People find peace within themselves and with one another, and above all with God. But can you see the problem? Haggai is saying that the glory of this temple that they were building will be greater than the glory of the previous one. But what became known as Herod's temple? This building they were currently constructing, this project that seemed so puny and sad compared to their previous temple, it could never, ever achieve a greater glory. Not in a million years. And one day it would be destroyed. That is why Jesus himself said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. It's why he himself replaced the temple. It's why God tells us 
that as the church of Christ, his followers, we are now his temple. The project that Zerubbabel and his friends were constructing was not an end in itself. Just as any church that we are responsible for building is not an end in itself. It is a foretaste of something else, something greater. Expect something greater. And so stage one of this fulfillment is the desire of nations came in the form of Jesus Christ and the demonic was confronted and the dead were raised and the storms were commanded to be quiet and the world was shaken. And also as the nations started turning back to their Lord and Creator, they found their peace in him. And that is why we look forward to stage two, the final fulfillment when the Lord will come a second time like a, a thief in the night and the earth will be finally shaken for all time and will dissolve as Peter prophesies in Second Peter 3. And as the redeemed of all nations, of every tribe and tongue, will join in worshipping the Lamb in the eternal kingdom, then there will be no more war and no more pain and no more tears. That's the big story that Haggai gives us a glimpse of. What God is doing. So what's your part in this? What's my part? What's the part of Christ City Church in all of this? Having been encouraged to expect greater things, to lift up our eyes and broaden our perspective, to see what God sees, to see what God is doing, what now must we ourselves do? Well, firstly, we need to respond to the seasons in which we find ourselves. I mentioned that Haggai's public ministry was very short, probably the length of our COVID lockdown first time round. But he was ready and he was alert and he was willing to speak into that situation. To be God's spokesperson. To encourage God's people in the midst of their fear and their discouragement. There are seasons of ministry. There are seasons in a church's life. Some are short, some are long. And this particular time we find ourselves in now is a season. God has placed you in Dublin in your church, in your communities and neighborhoods and families at this time for a reason. Are you being sensitive to his voice? Because he's saying, I am with you. Be strong. My spirit is in you. Do not fear. Is he also saying, I know many of you are struggling, looking back to when things were normal, when you could meet as a full fellowship without restrictions, when you could welcome new people into your community easily without them having to sign on with passwords and Zoom links and Facebook links that don't work and all of that. I know you're struggling. When you compare with those days, aren't these days just a bit frustrating and limited? Well, I am still with you. My spirit has not gone away. Expect greater things. There are other days ahead in my story. This is not the end. Respond to the seasons. Secondly, see under the surface. Try to see what God sees. Don't see fewer numbers or greater restrictions. Don't see a culture constantly wanting to push Christianity out into the periphery or even be actively hostile towards it. 
Don't see what you don't have or what you can't do. Don't think you could do, be a better disciple or a more effective missional church if only you had more resources, more money, more people. In the words of Bono, my God's not short of cash. The silver and the gold are his. Remember Luke chapter 10 and Jesus telling his disciples not even to take any money with them, a sign of urgency and vulnerability. A reminder that you can do God's mission if need be without any resources or any property. Look beyond that. Expect greater things. God's mission for you is to bring in his real treasures. The men and women of Dublin who are still far away and who still need to hear. That is how the glory of this temple would outshine Solomon's. Because in God's eyes, there was a direct continuity through this temple being built by Zerubbabel and his friends, through Jesus Christ himself crucified and raised, and then into his church empowered by his spirit. As members of his church in lives of obedient ministry and service, we have the opportunity to experience the greater glory the greater things that Jesus himself promised in John 14, when he says, you will do greater things than I do. Greater not in quality, but in extent, around the world, in all the cities of the world, through the centuries, proclaiming the kingdom of God. So we respond to the seasons, we see underneath the surface, and finally we build for the future. Quite simply, we get to work. This is actually the first thing that Haggai commands. There's the threefold encouragement in verses four and five to be strong. Be strong, be strong. Don't be overwhelmed. Don't be overcome with fear. Don't be distracted by comparison. Be strong and get to work. The fact that God has all the resources, the fact that it is his spirit in us who's empowering us, doesn't exclude us from our responsibility of working. Alec Matea wrote that the Spirit of God is not replacement therapy, but a recruiting agent. It doesn't absolve us from work. It's not replacement therapy. It is a recruiting agent. Several times in the New Testament, we read of God working in us or the Spirit of God working through us. But we're still working. The way we avoid working in our own strength and becoming discouraged and tired and weary like the temple builders is not by giving up working altogether, but by working with a newfound strength and a newfound freedom and confidence that recognizes that we're building something greater, God's kingdom. That each new person that submits to Christ's rule is a new jewel, a precious new treasure for the temple. And as we do that, we will see something of that greater glory. More than a building, more than the beauty of silver and gold, we will see the glory of God himself radiant in new lives transformed by him. We will see it manifested in acts of love and mercy in a hurting world. We will see it in what happens as the church helps to heal what is broken and gives hope where there is none. Showing love before where there was only before hate. Transforming communities that are broken and hostile and in the grip of sin into places of peace. 
I've got a colleague in one of the countries that I oversee in Eastern Europe, who when he describes his university outreach, he has a phrase that he always uses. He talks about looking for people of peace. It's a phrase from that same passage in Luke 10 that I've referred to already a couple of times. There Jesus talks of finding people of peace as they go around in the towns and villages. It's, the idea is that while there is opposition, while there is hostility and persecution in the Christian life, while ministry is hard, there will always be what we would call the low-hanging fruit. People who are ready to hear, like the centurion that Jesus met or the Syrophoenician woman, people that Paul met like Lydia and on, on, on his missionary journeys, who are people of peace, ready to hear the gospel of peace. So respond to this season. See beneath the surface to what God sees and start building for a new future where the glory will be greater than in the past. We're to be characterized as a people of peace and a people of hope while all the world has to lean on is Mr. Blue Sky. We have the sun. The sure and certain hope of Christ the son of righteousness, as Malachi calls him, risen with healing in his wings. So expect greater things and work for him. Be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Let us pray. Lord, give us your eyes as we look at our world and as we look at our city. Give us your heart for the people there. Give us your wisdom as we discern how best to reach and how best to witness and to proclaim your kingdom. Thank you for this word from Haggai. Thank you for the encouragement that it is. And may you apply it to our hearts and lives in the week to come. Amen. Mm -hmm.